Hi everyone, this is Thomas Quilfeld. This is Sound of Play, part of the Cane and Rinse podcast network, and here we celebrate everything to do with video game music. In late February 2020, I had the pleasure of chatting to Gareth Coker, composer on the Moon Studios games Ori and the Blind Forest and its sequel, Ori and the Will of the Wisps. This was a distant time ago, seemingly, uh, before coronavirus was officially a pandemic and prior to the release of Will of the Wisps. Gareth and I had a fairly unstructured chat about the interactivity of his scores, how that works within the structure of Metroidvanias, and how we're both big fans of strong melodies. I hope you enjoy it. Hi Gareth, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Uh, I guess it's uh, it's evening with you. Uh, I'm still in the middle of my day here. It is evening. The kids are in bed. And uh, and I get the opportunity to talk about game music, which is my favourite thing, and not have to clean up after the kids for a little while. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> I, guess, I guess you're still in the middle of finishing uh, finishing touches to Will of the Wisps. It is, it is finishing touches, uh, uh, bug checking, and play testing. So pretty much the, the the creative stuff has been done for a while, but in a game that is this big uh, and is this open there's there's still a lot of things that you know you you have to check because they could potentially go wrong so we're just doing our best to uh, iron out the the remaining bugs that we can find before release do you have to iron out music bugs no not personally so i don't i i feel like it's a bit of a cheat really because uh all i have to do is find the bugs and report them with with a focus on music and audio obviously uh, but the actual nitty-gritty of solving them is is out of my hands and that's probably very smart because i don't think they really want me <laughs> poking around in unity or wise to uh to, to go and fix things and, and to be fair we do have like a dedicated team for that uh so um it's really just quality assurance on the on the audio side of things because obviously you know i'm a gamer too and so i I, if if there's an audio bug i can usually pick up on it if if something's not quite right so um yeah it's kind of all hands on deck um just to find find things uh that obviously we don't want players to find uh but although at this stage i feel like there's so much content in the game that it's quite easy to, you know, we we find bugs that I don't think players will ever see <laughs> because we're so familiar with the, uh, with the game at this point. Oh, I don't know. Players do tend to get into every nook and cranny, don't they? That is true. And it's uh, you have to get into the habit of playing the game how how we didn't intend you to play it um so you know with that it's it's like d- doing our best to to kind of break all the systems that we've built that we spent so long building you know a, a, a lot of games like this especially at the beginning it's like well what happened you, you, it's designed to go to the right like especially in the the first game like the opening is pretty much you're going from left to right and that's it but of course, there's always someone who's just going to walk to the left and like try and go as far as possible. Um, and it's like, no, come on! It's clear that you're not supposed to do that. Like even the camera, <laughs> even the camera is pushing. Like it's it's guiding your your eyes, like telling you to move to the right. But nope, there's going to be someone who is determined to move to the left. Uh, so we have to we have to accommodate that person as well as best as we can. I think um, fans are pretty used to kind of ha- basic uh, ideas of game design, but um, have you ever concocted a way with music to make players go from left to right, or, or like the music says jump to this ledge? You know, like they do the light, you know, the yellow 
expand on an uncharted game or something called the lighting in a portal game where it's like go here yeah that's it's funny you say that because actually actually come to think of it i I almost wish i had come up with that now or or i could get the choir to chant go this way um but uh (laughs) um we do we do actually actually in the very opening uh of will of the wisps we do have like a subtle audio cue kind of telling the player you know come here Uh, but it is i think in a game like ori that all audio cues have to be tied to the narrative um so if a player wants to sit and chill we generally you know it's a beautiful game we don't really force them too much it's up to us to find a solution you know if the player wants to sit and look at the environment that they they can fortunately in a game like ori the music it's not in your face except at the moments when it really really needs to be so a lot of the regular movement music uh can actually quite comfortably play for a long time and the player isn't going to feel like their senses have been assaulted so so you can actually yeah, generally speaking, we, we, it would be a surprise if a, a player is on, you know, staying on the exact same screen for longer than like a couple of minutes. It means that they've put the controller down. Um, and if there's one thing I've learned over the years, it's that Ori is a very difficult game to put the controller down because I think we do a reasonably good job, good job of immersing the player. You you say us. I don't know much about your relationship with Moon Studios. Obviously, traditionally, I guess composers work with you know someone like austin wintry would be a surprise to hear him say us because he works on so many different games so you know they come out of he, he's very good at talking up how, how being part of the project obviously but um you get the sense that he's he's constantly going from thing to thing and he's got his own it's sort of an identity as a composer do you feel like you're really part of the core development team here and i think at this point you only have to look at my resume to know that i'm working on other things at the same time um so and i think that's pretty normal for for most composers these days rare is the composer that is tied to uh, a single studio though they do exist there's darren corb at super giant games uh, there's david garcia at ninja theory uh, and they're both doing like unbelievable work but there's also you know the composers that go from project to project now my relationship with moon in terms of all the various projects that i'm doing is de- is definitely unique um you can end up especially on a game like this becoming deeply ingrained into the project but there's other games which one might work on where actually you are really you know you are a music supplier and you're kind of fitting into uh, a system that is very predefined for example my work on minecraft i've done like five hours of work on minecraft and they're all just expansions for for the base game literally the brief is we're doing an, for example, Egyptian mythology set. Uh, we need you to write an album of Egyptian-themed music, whatever that means. Obviously, that's my job to figure that out. <laughs> and, and basically, off you go. pretty defined and the the way it plays back in the game is is pretty much a a jukebox style system it's it's not really tied to the experience it's really just designed to immerse the player in the world uh, and loop in the background constantly 
Uh, now with a game like Ori, the music is so deeply tied to uh, the gameplay and the visuals uh, and just the player's experience in general that, uh, to be frank, if the if the composer doesn't have a close relationship to the game, I don't think they'd be able to do their best work. Even if I was working with like the greatest audio music supervisor team who was placing my music, the music still wouldn't feel as connected. There are definitely like examples of mm. great soundtracks where you know, the composer probably didn't play the game, but they probably had a great audio or music supervisor like taking their music and 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 placing it in. On this game, we, we, we don't have a giant music editing team. It's basically me. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> um, but, that, but that's kind of nice. The, the advantage of things like that is, for better or worse, I have complete creative control. So ultimately, the, the buck stops with me, and it comes down to, to my taste. Now, where that is aided by working in a studio as closely as, as I am with Moon Studios is I get regular feedback, not, you know, not just from the the game directors moon prides itself on being a a flat organization as best as possible as you can in a studio that is now 80 people so the theory is that everyone can give feedback on everyone's work um, now obviously i'm not gonna spend my entire day critiquing the art team or the animation team but it's like if there's something i feel really strong about like for example getting to the end of a difficult sequence of gameplay and then there's not much of a visual reward at the end like you know a vista or a cutscene or something and then that's the kind of thing i would speak up about conversely the art team might be like well, hey, we we made this amazing like you know Vista for you. Like, where's the cool music that plays at this moment? I'm like, oh yeah, I missed that. Well, I guess I'll put together a cue for it. <laughs> um, there's a lot of back and forth, and due to my involvement in the process, I understand the general flow of the game, the general pace of the game, like how Ori moves and how quickly a player might spend in an, an environment. It's not an exact science because this is a Metroidvania and it's it's very it's very open. But I can make pretty intelligent guesses as to what the majority of players are going to experience. And then, of course, build in the fail safes for those who <laughs> go off the beaten path and uh, <laughs> yeah. not my intended route. And that means when it comes to like actually, you know, getting the thing across the finishing line, I have a deep, deep knowledge of the game and exactly what it needs. So a lot of the music, it takes less time to write because a lot of decisions have been made in a game like a Metroidvania. You, it's kind of like a, a house of cards, really. If you change one thing, it can really affect everything. Like the design deeply affects like how the art works because you want to have pacing in the gameplay. But if the gameplay is too intense for a long period of time, then you don't get a chance to appreciate the art um, because you're asking too much of the player. And then you've got to think about the music. And when you add music to anything, it speeds it speeds up the experience, like how the how the player is reading it and how the player's brain is like taking in all of that gameplay and visual and audio information so you you change one thing and it can affect everything else it's partly one of the reasons why this game has taken such a long time is because we've spent so much time on the design side of things and how everything works together in a game like this it's not i think it's expected that actually that the you know the visuals are going to be great and the audio is going to sound lush and the gameplay experience is going to be good that's like that's the bare minimum for us 
the real key is how do those elements combine to create an experience that the player will actually remember? Because I, I don't think it's enough, especially in 2020. There's so many great games coming out with like and amazing looking games. And it's not just about graphic fidelity. It's, it's, about, it's graphic design as well. Photorealistic graphics is one thing, but actually it's like, you know, how well is it designed and how does it like look off the screen? It's not enough, in my opinion, to just have good graphics. It's really got to all blend seamlessly together. And I think that's that to me is what truly makes a great game. And so in terms of, again, my relationship with Moon, it's just I feel close to the team and I feel very lucky because they've had me involved from an early stage for four years. And that has really helped the development process. But it might not be necessary to work like this for every game. But for this game, uh, I feel it was very important. Game composers tend to have a bit more leeway to kind of get out in front of a game in terms of marketing and be, you know, that individual team member that can talk about their own work more openly sometimes than other team members. So does that feel about right with in terms of your relationship with Moon Studios? I was very lucky and, and honoured to be able to, like, reintroduce Ori to the public at E3 2017 when they were like, yeah, do you want to play piano on stage at E3? And I'm like, oh my goodness, uh, if, if this goes wrong, it will be on the internet forever. Um, so, so I made sure what I wrote wasn't too difficult. Um, I'm a pretty good piano player, but you know, there's a lot of people that watch E3 and uh, I was like, well, let's, let's make sure that we get this right. Imagine the nerves it must have been I mean you spend I assume most of your day uh, in front of a computer in front of a keyboard in your own little uh, composer cavern yeah I mean I hadn't done a public performance for ages composers generally you know we, we like to say in the background and then come out at the end and say thank you very much and then disappear back into the dungeon <laughs> but you know it I, I said, if we're going to do this, uh, the focus should be, you know, on the visuals, not me performing. And that's what yeah. we did. We had like a 10 second intro of me, which was nice. And then it was like, OK, it's all about the overall experience. I think of Mick Gordon with Mick Gordon at the Game Awards. Yeah, him. The visuals not particularly being important to uh, compared to Mick's absolutely barnstorming, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, killing it with the guitar can't really do that from a piano can you no exactly um but i've always wondered like actually you know what would what would ori sound like if mick covered it <laughs> uh, <laughs> i've wondered you know maybe mick should do a cover of ori in his uh inimitable style and uh, i'll do a cover of rip and tear or something in the ori style excellent that sounds brilliant i think that's an album that needs to happen um or, or at least an ep <laughs> so, <laughs> talking about the game i mean one of the reasons is that 
honestly, I, I speak some of the best English on the team. Because <laughs> the team, well, Moon Studios is globally distributed. I, I think that's one of the cool things about the studio. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are still surprised by that. We, we literally make the game over Skype, Dropbox, Google Docs, and basically any online thing that actually doesn't crash, which um, we've honed that process over the last eight to, to nine years. But yeah, the team, you know, we've, we've got members that we've actually we actually made a map of like where the team's located and it, it, the the numbers like of different countries and different locations is is crazy now also with music being a fairly you know prominent feature of of both the first game and the second game um and it's you know something that people seem to seem to like hearing about they haven't they at least they haven't told me that they're fed up of me yet so <laughs> so i i think that it's, it's like well let's wheel out gareth and uh, he, he can talk about the game i also think that like because i play the game i i don't just talk as i've kind of illustrated already i don't just talk about the music i can like literally talk about gameplay i can you know i can even do a little bit on the the technical side of the art um like how that's changed from the the first and the second game and of course all of the new things that ori can do in the second game as opposed to the first so uh i don't just give the uh you know the, the typical composer answer oh i've got to match the visuals and match the gameplay experience and that's it so it's a little bit deeper than that <laughs> i don't I don't know if there is a typical composer answer anymore. I mean, there's... That's good. That's good to hear. It runs the gamut. I mean, if if anyone should listen to the, you know, Austin's series of interviews on the Game Makers uh, Toolkit podcast, hearing him talk with Danny Baranowski, where does the composer start and the gamer end? How far back does your relationship with video games go? Since basically as young as I can remember, so probably three or four. Um, <laughs> so... I do remember my first gaming experiences. I believe it was the ZX Spectrum. It was either the ZX Spectrum or it was an Amstrad. It was one of the two. But my dad brought me a a book. And it was basically one of those books you had to type in all of the code and then you'd be able to play the game. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Actually, how I learned how to type was going through all those books. I've been able to type uh, easily at above 100 words per minute uh, probably since I was eight. Um, I, I do actually think that's the reason. Um, but yeah, I remember I remember putting in, you know, cassettes to to load the game and you'd have to, you know, press play on the cassette and wait like 20 minutes for the game to load. And, you know, when when games like the original Star Wars X-Wing games, they'd come on five floppy disks. And when you think that a floppy disk was one point four four megabytes. And so, you know, you have you have a game that can take like 10 hours to play and it fits on, you know, 10 megabytes of data compared to what we have now. It's like it's kind of staggering what we were actually able to do back then. I've been gaming since as long as I can remember. And of course, I've been watching films and TV shows as long as I can remember too. But I feel uh, an affinity with gaming. It's it's the medium I understand best. I definitely played, I feel like I've played more games than I've watched films. Uh, even if that might not be the case. That's how I feel, even though that might not be the case. You've almost certainly spent more time playing yes, games exactly. and immersed in games than you would have done. Yeah, unless you were a real cinephile. Right. 
And, and one thing I feel that's really important to, to, to writing music or working in any creative field is you know, developing taste. And, and, and what does that mean? Uh, to me, it means experiencing as much as possible, not just in the creative field, but also, you know, just real life. And, you know, I've been fortunate to travel, but I also, you know, I try to play as many games as possible. Even if I don't play, the, I, there's this thing you have to finish every game you, you start. No, you don't. Uh, if you don't like it, just stop. And there's definitely games that I do like and I make time for. Like, you know, one of my guilty pleasures is the Assassin's Creed franchise. I, I know that the, the formula isn't going to change that much from year to year, but I just, <laughs> I, I just don't care. I, I love, I love the games and I, have played every assassin's creed game to 100 percent completion that is just the one wow thing I, yes i know it's crazy there's been 11 of them now and i've done them all well it's good to know that you've got you know you've got your guilty pleasures and it's not all uh work and and no play uh, i'm really intrigued actually thinking about ori and and the will of the wisps and and super metroid and and uh symphony of the night and, and going back to the to the metroidvania stuff i mean we play we we do play a lot of games i think ori one released right on the cusp of when like metroidvanias were kind of starting to return as like this uh you know this this popular genre because kind of before that there weren't really that many uh, and, and you'd say to people i'm working on a metroidvania and they'd be like a metroid what like <laughs> i mean seriously because because it, it is kind of a weird word uh, to drop in but now it's it's everywhere and and it's even seeping into the triple a space jedi fallen order is technically a a, a metroidvania Based yeah. on based on the level design and the abilities you get, and control is as well. And I I loved control. I mean, the way the map is designed, you 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 know you get to go to new areas once you unlock new abilities. That is the fundamental like core thing of a Metroidvania. So you're seeing it bleed into the AAA space too, because I think the the fundamental design behind a Metroidvania is actually quite gamey, but it also allows you to do world building because it's it naturally enhances the exploration itch because you're like, oh, I wasn't able to get there before, but now I can. That is a very, very basic feedback loop that almost all human brains love. Uh, and musically speaking, since the idea is that players go to places more or less in the order they choose, uh, Hollow Knight's the, the most recent one I played. So I kind of got this in my head that musically speaking, you kind of have to divvy up the world by area, don't you? Yes. So you'll have your story moments where you can bring themes back and develop them and build to, to climaxes or whatever. But really, you you the main thing you're going to do is, right, OK, I've got to write a set of stuff for this area and a set of stuff for that area. Uh, I'm so glad you asked this question because this is like this is like the the main <laughs> thing about Ori 2's music compared to the first game. To rewind back to Ori 1, I mean it's partially a resource thing as well. Generally speaking, it was maybe one environment one track which you've kind of hinted at in your question maybe you know maybe two if you're lucky and maybe dividing up so it's you know it's not it doesn't become like the same thing the whole time but the biggest difference in this game is that music is slightly more granular in terms of how it changes depending on what the player what the player has done within an environment kind of what i've done is write 
suites of music per environment. Uh, there's only one area in the game, and it's a tiny area of the game, so it doesn't matter which has one loop attached to it. But even that is slightly misleading because this one area has six buildings inside of it that you can enter, and all of those buildings have unique tracks that are based on like the, the main loop that plays in the area. So I've designed the music to change based on actions that Ori completes. Just to talk about the, the opening of the game, after the prologue, Ori wakes up and a sad melody plays. The melody is the melody that also plays at the end of the prologue, so the player is kind of familiar with it. And then you're 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 searching for your friend, and you kind of you you're, you don't know where your friend, the the baby owl, is. Then later on, you pick up the the sword, and obviously that's a you know that's a momentous moment. You've got a friggin' sword. Like we've never had a sword in Ori before, because you're in the same environment. The same melody plays, but the accompaniment is completely different. It's more peppy and more exciting because you have a sword. It's kind of obvious, <laughs> but also you have NPCs telling you, "Show us the lights, like show us how you use it and stuff like that." They're, they're literally in the the foreground of the scene talking to Ori. And that's just a very, very simple, it, it might seem very obvious to you, but, but actually the technical support required to do something like that and have it work so that the, the new piece of music doesn't play over the old piece of music is actually quite involved because there's so many different game states, like Ori has a sword is a game state and Ori doesn't have a sword is a game state that have to be tracked by the game engine to make something like that work. And that is the case throughout the game. These suites of music, they should feel continuous, but within each environment, they should feel continuous, but it subtly changes according to, to what the player is doing. It's something that we couldn't do on the first game because we didn't have as tight technical support. It's just a resource thing as well. It's, it's quite hard to do. And to be frank, to do this, you have to write more music. <laughs> um, so um, this game has way, way more music than the first game, but I feel like it is justified. We're not just rearranging the stems to create new tracks. They are literally new compositions, maybe reusing the same themes, but they are new, brand new recordings. And if you're a speedrunner, you might not experience the, the whole loop, and that's fine. <laughs> I wanted the music to be more varied, especially at the beginning of the game when you can't traverse as quickly. Yeah. When the game opens up, you can traverse really quickly, so you don't need quite as much music. There we, there's still a minimum of two music tracks per environment. But it's something that we worked really, really hard on. I'll give one more example because uh, it, it's really crude and simple, but it's it's not the kind of thing that we could really do as well in the first game. There is a puzzle in a room uh, in Act 1. It's, it's in a place called the Ancient Wellspring. It's kind of like this old creaky building. And there's a puzzle room which you pull a lever and it rotates the environment 90 degrees each time you pull it. Now, you have the starting music. 
and then each time you pull the lever and the room rotates 90 degrees you get a new variation of that music and it's a new recording um, that is slightly increased in tempo and slightly increased in pitch And that happens three times in a row. And then when you complete the puzzle, uh, you have a more relaxing piece of music because, hey, you completed the puzzle. Again, this stuff seems... As a reward, yeah. Yeah, exactly. This stuff seems obvious, but it also subconsciously like helps the, the player, at least I hope it does, <laughs> subconsciously helps the player like thinking, oh, I'm, I'm making progress. I'm able to go forward. I'm able to keep pushing forward. It sounds like you've uh, you've had your iMuse moment. Like You hear it, you know, interviews about Monkey Island 2 and them sort of saying... Everyone says, oh, it's this, you know, this is the first interactive music system. Isn't it incredible? And Tim Schafer said on an interview somewhere, he was like, we didn't need to do all that work. <laughs> there was no point back then. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it, I'm glad you mentioned iMuse because obviously, you know, I've, I've already brought up the, the Star Wars games that I, that I kind of grew up on. And it's just like, man, if they were doing that then, there's no reason why we can't do it now. Uh, it's just that we have to make more music and, and more recordings. And of a higher recording quality, which is itself inten resource intensive. Yeah. And then we just have to make sure that it, it plays back in the game correctly because we've got to make sure that the game tracks all of those lever pulls and then plays the correct music. It, it, it sounds simple, but actually it isn't. Uh, I'm very lucky in that I have someone who does all the music implementation for me, like on the technical side. I tell them exactly how I want it to play back. I even make a video with captions like saying, this is the cue that should play here and this is how it should transition. So they have a, a reference what to do. But then, you know, to set up the code, it's actually no small feet and then you have to think about okay well the player is now in act three of the game and they finished that room a long time but maybe there's like some collectibles that they want to go back so what are you going to do when they go back to there which music is going to play in the rotating room that stuff that also has to be thought about and that that stuff's a pain by the way because <laughs> you want players to like only do the golden path but actually it's like well no they're going to go revisit and try and 100 percent the map so what music is going to play in those scenarios and it's just like it's making sure that everything is covered mm. I want the music to change during the golden path, but also, you know, when they go off the beaten path, like make sure that it's not just the same generic track playing over and over again. And it's it's like this big jigsaw puzzle. Who Who is that person at Moon? Uh, it's actually not at Moon. He's part of the sound team that we've contracted to do the game. Uh, but the composer's name is Guy Whitmore. Um, he's a, he is actually a composer and music implementer. He's not done composition work on the game. On this game, he's doing uh, primarily ambiences, like environmental ambiences. But he is responsible for all of the music implementation. He is a game audio legend. Uh, and I mean legend. This this might sound like a strange reference, but like he, I believe he did the music for the original Peggle, which has such deep music interactivity because all of the sounds like uh, match up with like the bricks and everything that you're that you're removing with the ball. But he's like uh, a music implementation wizard, and because he's a composer, he understands like 
what I'm going for, like understands, you know, what the transition should be. We did have a great music implementer on the first game um, that was able to work within the, the limited resources we had. And what we were doing was a lot simpler anyway. But on this, to have someone who understands the nitty gritty, but is also a musician, I feel like it's kind of a cheat code. <laughs> well, it just means I can focus on the music and the creative side of things. And he enjoys I, I it's my worst nightmare doing what he does but but he enjoys doing it and and, and making it work and it's, it's really rewarding to see in feedback from press outlets who have played our preview build to hear oh we, we actually got a specific one from france yesterday you you don't realize there's a new composition in an area you and until you actually like focus on it so it was it was literally what i was just talking about like the music subtly changes and but then if you if you're playing the game i don't want it to be too obvious unless it's meant to be obvious like when ori picks up a new ability you've got this flashy animation ori rises into the sky and there's like a giant flash on the screen well of course you're going to have like a big piece of music there um, but as you're moving through the environment and maybe you know pulling a lever you don't need like a big musical cue but it's like how do you change it and make sure that it's subtle and one great thing about you know working with someone who's also on the sound team is we can use sound effects also to you know help music transition so when you pull the lever and the environment shifts by 90 degrees i mean that's a pretty big mechanism so you have all of this grinding wooden gears sound and so you can just duck out all the music and then the new music cue starts when all of those sound effects are, fi are finished playing and the player will never hear the transition because the sound effects acted as the transition again this stuff when i feel like when i say it it seems really obvious but i feel like if we'd done this in the first game we would have just done a fade out and it's those small things by themselves they probably don't make a huge difference to the player but if you do a lot of these small changes that make 0.1% difference, if you do 100 of those, well, then then you've made 10% difference. Yeah, yeah. What's great, and this, again, links back to, you know, being part of the studio for a long time. The more I'm able to play the game, the more I'm able to find these 0.1% changes. And then I'm like, well, can we do this? You know, another example is just transition times between going from a, a game's exterior to an interior. Like, what's the best transition time? Hmm. You know, you can't do that until you've played it over and over again. Like, what what do you do you want the music to fade out over one second or two seconds? And that again. You, you could be like, well, what, what difference does it make? But it actually <laughs> does make a difference because we don't ever want the immersion to be broken. And audio is a big part of that, um, especially in a game which is pretty much wall-to-wall -wall music. Yeah, and you might have uh, these days fans with really fancy audio setups or nice, you know, 5.1 headphones or whatever on the... The podcast crew, where we talk about different games, older games, we do make a point to mention the music and the audio. And there's a the oldest member of the team is his thing is immersion and audio, and he will call a game out if it has poor audio. And it doesn't matter the age of the game; we take that into account. But but that immersion, it, it is important to players. It's not important to most players, probably, but there are definitely people who are noticing it. Everything you're saying vibes with what, for instance, uh, Petri Alunco, uh, one of the co-composers on Control, 
was saying to me about um, how he was extremely glad that he had uh, an audio programmer to, to do all of the the funky stuff in the in the engine. Raisin Varna, Borderlands 3 music director, was talking about from the beginning of the series in Borderlands, you know, on, on PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, not much memory for music necessarily. You're just kind of toggling between ambient and combat. That's basically it. And then Borderlands 3 has this across a whole composer team, different planets within the game. They've got random selector. They select a tiny part of this section of music that then there's like three layers of pressure and intensity. And it just seems to me this stuff's been around 20, 30 years longer. Yeah. But it definitely feels to me like people's ambitions are really ramped up the last kind of five to 10 years, even Chatting to Jim Fowler, who worked on um, Blood and Truth for for PlayStation. Blood and Truth is amazing. It's it's one of my favourite soundtracks of recent years, just because it's so original. Uh, he was talking about the the London heist, and I know you've recently done a VR game. He, they were talking about where the music faded in during the car chase. They were going to either have it just playing, and that didn't make sense, or you your character punches out the windscreen, and actually bringing the music in there hiding the music in there was the perfect place and all of that stuff all of those tiny little details they do matter they do matter because if they were wrong some players enough of the player base would notice and and might might bump on it it's funny you mentioned that it's it's kind of been a thing for the last five to ten years i think i do feel like the quality of audio and games has increased exponentially i think people care about it more than they used to it's unfair to say it was an afterthought but i feel like regardless of game studio now like audio feels like it's important because you get called out on it now to to talk about you know all of these different systems it used to be more the case of like well here's your music system you have to write within it but now it's more about developing the right system for your game and there's there's not a one size fits all some games just don't need any music interactivity whatsoever and that's totally fine and some games do need a lot. And I would say Ori falls somewhere in the middle because if you break up the music too much, then pe- there's a, then you lose the, the sense of familiarity. And also Ori is a very flow driven game. So you don't you want people to kind of get used to the tracks. But then, of course, you have the battle of like, well, what's the line between something becoming repetitive and recognizable? Because It's got to be recognizable, but it can't be repetitive. Those two words are completely contradictory. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's that's been, you know, one of the one of the challenges. But in this game, just to talk about music systems, uh, this is a very, very easy example to give. There's a lot of combat in Ori, and actually we've yeah. been really quite forthright about how we've tackled combat in the second game compared to the first game. I've already said that Ori has a sword, because um, in the first game you basically just had this attack called Spirit Flame, and you mash X and that's pretty much it. You know, that's totally fine. It was it was fun and it was kind of uh, satisfying, but it wasn't particularly deep. And it was one of the, the main criticisms of the first game is that the combat wasn't particularly deep. Well, this time, for story reasons, Ori doesn't actually have that spirit flame anymore. So um, because what happens at the end of the first game happens and that's why he doesn't have a spirit flame. Um, I'm not spoiling it just in case there's like a handful of people that haven't played the first game. Um, but anyway, he doesn't have that attack. Um, so 
uh, it kind of gave us room to expand the weapons arsenal. So, you know, Ori has a sword, Ori has a bow, uh, Ori has a, a giant hammer. Um, and of course, they all have the, the spirit thing before them. So it's spirit sword. So it gives us an excuse to have some flashy particles. But I, I'm like looking at that and I'm like, wow, this is going to be a noisy game uh, <laughs> because we're doing all of this combat stuff. And, and actually, our sound team has done an amazing job, like making everything blend. Um, but to get back to music systems, it's we we do not have combat music for your regular moment to moment gameplay um so if you're just you know if you happen to stumble across a monster while you're in the environment while you're doing your exploration the sound effects are enough to tell you that you're in combat but also if you switch to combat music you're probably going to be in combat for like three to four seconds because a lot of the monsters are fairly straightforward to kill so if you're triggering a combat music here and then you're ending it like four seconds later, it actually it actually takes you out of it because you're like, oh, I'm playing a video game. There's the combat music cue. When actually the sound effects are enough to communicate to the player that you're fighting something, you actually just don't need the combat music. Now you mention it, I can already immediately hear in my head a piece of music, combat music, that came up too quickly, left too soon, and just didn't fit. It just doesn't work. And then it sounds gimmicky. From way back from your musical training, classical training, to, to come from the point of, say, doing something like a trailer, where it's it's kind of cut and dry, or, or film stuff, or TV stuff, to now this minutiae, you know, this these tiny details, this complex engine is there a sort of an inevitable bit of stifling of musical creativity or is it that because you're trying to solve so many different design and musical puzzles actually quite inspiring in terms of composition it's a little bit both sometimes there are there are of course some areas where you run into to headaches and, and one of the biggest like headache inducing moments in ori 2 you've got all the environments that's great but like there's these little crossroad areas where it's like it's not it, you're kind of transitioning between an environment and it's like what do you put there mm. because you don't want one environment to bleed into another but also if you take music out it's kind of anti the dna of the game so it's like we need something here but we can't have like a full-fledged piece of music because the player is usually going to be passing through this area um so so what do you do and, and eventually it was like well you know what i mean we've got such you know, we've got cues with melody packed, like in every environment. How about we just, what, what I ended up doing was kind of creating a toolkit of what I would describe as tonal ambiences. They're very, very simple pieces of music, almost minimalistic. But what they do is they provide a bed that makes it doesn't feel like that the music's completely cut out. But it also allows us to push the environmental sound effects. But you still got like that nice, uh, how can I put it? The warm, some, someone described, someone else described it as Ori's music is like a warm blanket. And if you take it away, like it kind of feels, the game kind of feels like, like it's missing 
playing something, which was a nice compliment. Uh, but I was like, well, that also creates its own problems because it means I've got to put music almost everywhere. <laughs> so now, like, when you're passing through an area, it's like, well, okay, I can actually make it go super quiet. And that actually enhances the experience because it's like, oh, I can hear the ambiences or the or the SFX are more, are more prominent now. That's like one puzzle. To get back to the combat thing, we only play combat music when you have to kill something. And that actually allows me to really make the combat music matter and to expand on that even further like we have like mini bosses and stuff but one of the big things we have in this game that we didn't have in the first we have boss fights uh like hardcore boss fights we've shown them in the trailer uh most notably the uh the spider that's not just like you know you're facing off on one screen it's a multi-phase boss fight so you might start off in combat After you've gotten the spider down to a certain amount of HP, it's going to transition into a chase sequence. So that's phase two. Phase three is like the final bit of combat, which is a different screen and then different attacks that you have to adapt to. kind of go to go bigger and and also make the combat music matter so to get your dark souls on in other words yeah well yeah well actually you know it's funny you mentioned that there is like a you know a mini dark souls element to it we haven't over overloaded it we, we're not going like the full there's dark souls and then there's sekiro which is even more like sadistic um but like one of the things that was was given to us as feedback on the original game is like man some of these sequences are hard and you're locked into them you can actually abandon the challenge so you so you can go and level up your character a bit more we, we wanted to make it a little bit more forgiving because a lot of people are playing our game for the the audio visual experience uh so you don't get locked in this time but yes there there is like a, a boss fight element and that and that allows me to go really big and i do enjoy the challenge of like finding out where the peaks and the valleys are of the game and then everything in between it is it is really like you're building your own jigsaw and you're designing the pieces as well and <laughs> Initially, that's challenging, but the thing is, a lot of the environment music, you know, is kind of obvious, and that's actually a big segment of the music for the game. It's you know because there's, there's so many different environments, and that you know they all need you know a lot of minutes to to you know cover for the amount of time that the player will spend there. So doing like maybe eighty percent of it is is fairly straightforward. Then there's the cutscenes. It's maybe like another 10%. That's obviously no problem because they're all linear. Uh, they're going to play out the same every time. But then it's like, my goodness, the last 10% is like 
those crossroad sections and then like those transitional sections and then what to do in in certain specific situations which are you know very tightly defined to gameplay it's about like filling in those little gaps and and those like little 0.1 percent things that's usually the hardest but but actually doing the bulk of the music is not too like challenging on a creative front and then the last part you're trying to plug the holes in the ship basically like the ship is there and then you just want to make sure that it doesn't leak at all um and uh, i think we're there now so uh, yeah (laughs) i'd bet you any money there are music fans out there who will find those crossroads pieces their favorite of the game and they'll make 10 hour youtube compilations of them to absolutely relax to i I think i think it's inevitable (laughs) there's one mini mini and it's like the miniest of chase sequences that has an 11 second music cue and i haven't put it on the soundtrack and i'm already like dreading the request because <laughs> i can't put an 11 second cue on the soundtrack it's, it's no i'm just not doing it it's not necessary i feel like i'm just going to make it a free download at some point the game needed it it was actually a bug um that the game's director was like this little sequence doesn't have the appropriate music it just continues playing the environment music and i looked at it and i'm like it's probably fine but i understand where he's coming from and really like how long is it going to take me to write 11 seconds of music not very long at all because <laughs> you know it's it's a, like a, it's a mini chase and like so so i do it and you know that's another 0.1% thing and it'll probably make the game better and it'll just make that moment a little bit more exciting but there's all of those little pockets that's actually like a good example of as to what the entire team is doing yeah it's all handcrafted. None, none of it's procedural. Like we're going in and if something needs tweak, we'll go and create something for it rather than doing a copy and paste job. Like just to talk about our art for a second, there's, there's no tiling in Ori. Like a lot of games use tiling to, to flesh out their art. No, everything, every single asset in the game has been placed by hand. And you can imagine how much work that is with a game that looks how this one does. But I think it shows in the end product. You can kind of tell... You know when you fire up a game and you just kind of know within the first 10 or 15 minutes that you're in safe hands? Yeah. Like there's, there's just a level of polish. Obviously, games are front-loaded because they want you you know, to get you sucked in. But there's a feeling that you have. You're like, yeah, I, th- I think this game's going to be good. Um, <laughs> and it, it, you kind of... You kind of can just get that feeling in, in, uh, for, right from the beginning of the game. You can kind of tell that love has been put into it. Um, and I, I can definitely say that's the case across every single department in Ori. But it's a lot of work like to to get everything like handcrafted like that but it's the same with animation it's the same with sound it's the same with art and the gameplay too that everything has been designed with the player experience in mind it's not just been you know here's another level uh, i mean the amount of levels that have been cut from this game this game is huge and i can tell you that like there's a whole nother game that has been that is on the cutting room floor <laughs> like um uh, because because it just wasn't necessary and kind of got in the way of the player experience it was filler for the sake of filler rather than like enhancing the game You're a, a melody guy, or you've described yourself as that before. Yes. I'm definitely a melody person uh, for the most part. If I wanted to be really cheesy about it, I might say that you're a storytelling melodist. Um, but who is some of your melody heroes, just from any, you know, classical or, or, or film or whatever, uh, wherever it might be, but who are some of your heroes? 
the first piece of film music that I was like truly like aware of, and it was one of the first pieces I ever learned on piano, uh, was the Forrest Gump feather theme. That Alan Silvestri? Yeah, Alan Silvestri. And that was like, that that is entirely melodic. like the first piece of music that I really paid like attention to as a piece of film music. I, I really didn't like think about being a film or game composer until I was like 17. But you know, I was still studying music in school and I, I liked and enjoyed film and game music, but I wasn't like thinking about it as a career until very late uh, in my in my teens. Yeah, so that's like the, the first one. I'd be remiss not to say Joe Hisaishi's melodies, um, especially having lived in Japan uh, for three years, became very, very familiar mm. with his work. In terms of the classical side of things, um, this is kind of a, a fun answer. But like I, one of the things I always like to say to people, who who is the like kind of original rock star musician in the classical world? Like who wrote the killer riff, you know, in the 18th, you know, 19th and 18th centuries? And I and I'm like, well, what is a piece of classical music that literally everyone could recognize, even if they couldn't name it? <laughs> And it's very simple. Beethoven's Fifth. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Like it is like the ultimate rock star music riff. Like you could cover that in any format and people are going to recognize. And, you know, Beethoven was a melodist. I mean, there's so much great melodic content that he wrote. The reason why I reference it is because the dug da dung it's it's not really a melody. It's more just like an idem. Sonic branding. I, I get into arguments with people about Hans Zimmer because he's very divisive. But what Hans is great at doing is creating an identity. Now, that doesn't have to necessarily mean melody, but there's a Beethoven-esque quality to some of his work. You, it's very easy to mock like the Inception horns. But they've never been equaled. No one else can do that because he did it the best and he did it first. Yeah. Like, yes, they're easy to mock, but it's like, well, he came up with it. Another good example is the the Joker theme. Yes, it's just a rising tone, but someone has to think of it. Like someone actually has to like come up with the idea first. And if you hear that rising tone, which is played on a violin bow on an electric guitar, 
it's a very unique sound and it's highly recognizable. Yes, it's not a melody um, in the traditional sense of things, but it is identifiable. So a texture or a, a, like a short identity can be a memorable thing too. Hummable doesn't have to be memorable. That's basically what I'm, I'm getting at. They're, they're two yeah. slightly different things. You can understand people might criticize not Hans Zimmer himself, but the the people who came after who just copied him his sound endlessly. Yes, yes. That negativity comes back onto him, unfortunately. I think we can celebrate melody without having to say melody died, you know, or the you know, some people criticize the Marvel films for having plenty of melody, but none of it sticking with you the way, you know, an old Danny Elfman or something like that. We can have our cake and eat it, you know, we can live in a world where there was film music that was more melodic star wars and uh, and whatever and we have now the postmodern idea of textures as the lead thing can't we have both yeah johan johansson or or hilda's or hilda's work on joker yeah exactly we can have both and you can have both within the same score with the japanese guys all you have to do if you say oh where's the melody in hollywood you just say okay well, have you heard ponyo score by joe hisaishi uh, or how's moving castle or Yoko Kano, you've said in, in previous interviews, like why isn't she worshipped as one of the great versatile composers of our age? I don't know. She's a genius. kind of glad almost because i feel like if, if you know if someone picked up on how brilliant she is no one would ever have any work again she's also incredibly prolific um so she would just take all the work she can do the texture stuff but her melodies are just insane yeah they like, rip your heart out and and of course melody with you know i'm a huge final fantasy fan and nobu Matsu. obviously it's kind of boring to name check him now but also, fast forward to Keiichi Okabe, and especially his work on Nier, it's stuffed full of melodies. And I went to a concert hall the other week, and fans were, you know, in raptures about this music that was made just a couple of years ago. Uh, and, and melody is right there front and center. So Yeah, I mean, and in terms of melody for Ori, I've been lucky to work with a director that is like, is like big on melody. And if there was one criticism of the first game soundtrack, it's maybe almost too reliant on, on Ori's theme. But that's also a case of we only have four characters in the first game and you really don't spend that much time with, with any of them. Whereas in this game, we have a lot more NPCs and you spend more time with them. So, of course, Baby Owl gets a theme, which is, you know, that's something that we get to establish right at the beginning of the game. The antagonist has its own theme and we spend a lot more time with the antagonist this time around. Uh, there's a giant toad that has its own theme to get back to the the changing of the music like you'll enter the toad's environment and like a subtle version of the toad's melody will play uh, in bass clarinet
Then when you get the dash ability, which is obviously, that means you can move faster, you get a faster version of the Toad's theme. And then, of course, you actually meet the Toad. This isn't really a spoiler because we've shown it in the trailer. You meet the Toad, and then, of course, you get the Toad's theme in all its glory. And it's, uh, and it's kind of a throwback to the melody that you've heard when you first entered the environment. So, you know, Toad has a melody, uh, the spider environment all is based around a singular melody. And of course, the boss fight has music, which is based uh, on the melody. And it's been a real joy on this one, because I feel like I've been able to not just continue the score from the first game by using Ori's theme. call it a golden bullet like i only use it when i really have to which of course means especially if you played the first game it's going to have the highest level of impact when it when it enters but because of all the new characters in this game it's like oh great i get to explore with different themes and that actually made my life a bit easier to be honest because i didn't have to be so dependent on one um, but that original one still is in there this game is coming out at a time when there are fans of the ori score who love that melody and there's fans of game music who who love that melody and recognize that it's you know one of the strongest in the last couple of years of games but also i i feel like i hope i'm right people who consume media films games whatever are slightly better trained now in the musical terms like leitmotif and now that star wars has come back you know has been back and all these melodies come back into people's lives and you know, manipulate their emotions to the nth degree, that you're releasing this game, this score, at a time where people are kind of better trained to to enjoy that kind of thing. Both the just having of the melody, but also, like you say, subtly weaving it in. Yeah, being able to recognise it. And obviously the proof will be in the pudding in two weeks. Hopefully people do recognise these <laughs> melodies. Um, yeah, it's funny, you mentioned it, you know, you, you talked about having worked in, you know, the difference between working in film, TV and, and games. And I think there's definitely a trend in games at the moment. I, I just feel like game directors are generally asking more for melody, or at least at least they want something that they can identify their game with that is irreplaceable. And actually, if there's one thing I think that is actually really important in any soundtrack, film, game, TV, or otherwise, the sign of have you done your job, this is this is like one of my criteria, basically, is can you replace it with something else? And if you can, then you've, in my opinion, 
you've kind of not done your job or at least at least in, some, in a game that like looks as unique as this you don't want your score to be interchangeable and that comes not just from instrumentation because obviously you know there's lots of scores done with orchestra so how else do you you know make your thing unique well the one of the easiest ways is to have a unique melody that you can't really swap out with anything else you know it, it's very easy to say well or he's just you know piano strings and a few vocals here and there and you could just you yeah you could just replace it with any other piano strings and vocals thing because they're all over the place and i'm like well you probably couldn't actually because the the melodies wouldn't be the same and you wouldn't have the attachments to the character yeah that for me is like a an important thing it's like it's that combination of like having a unique palette which of course a game like ori naturally has because we've got so many unique environments which is just an excuse for me to like try out a million different instruments and and see what sticks um but also the ability to have unique melodies that you know if you if you tried and took something if we had a cute character we have some cute characters in the game it's like well what if we use the star wars ewok melody Well, you couldn't replace it with Star Wars Ewok melody because it's permanently attached to the Ewok. So it's like, <laughs> and that's an example of like John Williams, you know, you can't replace the Ewok melody with anything else because it's so tightly tied to the Ewoks. And that's like the sign of a good score in reverse. It's like you can't take something from somewhere else because it's because it's already been so perfectly tied to that experience. And that to me is this, uh, a true sign of uh, an effective soundtrack. Hellblade, Hellblade is one of my favorite audio experiences of recent years. It doesn't really have music that is in your face. It's mostly a very ambient score, except when you're in combat. Again, it's one of these things that's tightly woven into the whole audio design. And then at the end of the game, without, you know, without going to spoiler territory, there is a, how can I, a, a drop of music and it just hits you so hard. really is just in the final sequence of the game and i'm like oh my god the whole thing was building towards this moment and it's so perfect when it drops um and that's just another example of the, the composer having been tightly woven into the experience the last five years for that i mean we're in a golden age you've got celeste inside everybody's gone to the rapture there's loads anything austin wintry touches etc etc danny baronowski cadence of hyrule uh, olivier de riviere and, and vampire yeah olivier is amazing oh my god yeah it's not a golden age where you can just play people the soundtrack album where you can just show people the youtube clips is it you have to play these games something like martin stig anderson with insight you have to play the game you can't be like yes i'm gonna sit down and enjoy the inside soundtrack that's not really how it works um so it's always a bonus if you can create a nice to listen to soundtrack album but 
the core of our job and i think even more so in games but you, you'll hear film composers say this too like the very top film composers it has to match the picture that is our job and it has to be tightly woven into the picture you know if it happens to be you know cool to listen to away from the film then great but i, I think it's the same with games and, and truly like the strongest game scores are the ones that are tightly woven into the experience you, you've referenced olivier i've literally just started playing a plague's tale innocence and i as a composer i can hear like what he's doing and it's funny because because he's kind of doing the granular approach and there's there's lots of triggers in the game because it's quite tightly scripted and i'm like okay well there's the next trigger point where he's like progressed the music a little bit and there's the next trigger point where he's progressed the music a little bit and i'm like it's invisible so i don't care like i'm totally <laughs> immersed as a player he's really gone into great great lengths to to make sure that that all works seamlessly you're right to mention that we're in a golden age and if you do you know obviously if you do have a soundtrack that's great to listen to away from the game then that's great but like the ori 2 soundtrack is 60 tracks long and that might sound like a crazy length but it is a result of what did the game need and i felt that the game needed a lot of cues because first of all the, the game's dna from the first game it's pretty much wall-to-wall -wall music as I've, as I've kind of already you know said yeah and i wanted the music to to change a lot and i didn't want to do that breaking down stems and rebuilding tracks i wanted to do actual new compositions and new arrangements of the same themes and i was like oh boy it's gonna be a lot of work and that's a lot of recording to do but the end result, especially if you play this game towards the end, you are going to be so familiar with the themes. And if there's one thing I will say that I'm particularly proud of, it's how we've ended this game and the music for the ending, especially if you've played the first game, you'll feel connected to the ending. You'll, you'll feel connected to the ending in the second game as well, but especially if you played the first. You're going to make people cry, aren't you, Gareth? Um, well, that's... Do you, like, do you like making people cry? I, like, I, I get out of bed every day to emotionally manipulate people. That's, that's the goal. Uh, so. to work in trailer music which is commercialization of emotionally manipulative music slash it's a dark art slash it's a really difficult thing to do well and it's a it's a thing i respect massively but you also said about giving the game a sonic identity through the music or it's the best way of kind of distinguishing it do, do you have to resist some of your trailer music instincts in order to come to a kind of a more clear uh, an original idea for for a game like Ori 2 or actually are your trailer music skills it's a dark art that that you lean into and you're happy to sort of have have gone down that path you are the first person to ever ask me that question that is actually a brilliant question I've done lots of interviews and that's not something I've ever been asked before so that's a, a really interesting one so so with with trailer music um especially as I've done 
like the two different sides you know i've had to pitch tracks which didn't match the picture and just be like here's here's the track that you will cut to but i've also had to work with picture and do all the really tight editing and timing stuff so I, i've come at it from both angles so so when it comes to doing like cut scenes it, it, they're like nothing to me in terms of figuring out like timing and how to get things to sync up to the picture you could give me the most complicated thing Heck, you could give me a Tom and Jerry thing and I'd know what to do. I'd be able to figure <laughs> out the math, uh, even though I would never claim to be as good as like the original Tom and Jerry composers. But but I could figure it out. That's that's kind of the point I'm making. Where that kind of thing is useful is just learning where to swell and what has impact. And it's, it's funny you mention the trailers because all of the trailer music for every trailer that we've done for Ori has been original and the music has been constructed with the edit in mind so that the editing team can put the right footage in the right order. What I learned from doing trailer music is is a kind of like a hardcore crash course in an understanding of pacing, um, because trailers have to retain your interest while hitting you over the head. <laughs> um, so so it's like, how do you do that and make it still interesting? And while you'd never do that approach for especially for a game like Ori. What it does mean, though, is when I do actually want to hit you over the head, because there are parts in Ori, you know, where we, we wear our heart on our sleeve and we're not exactly subtle about the emotion that we want to, you to feel. And that's OK. Uh, I think there's been a tendency. It's it's slightly irritated me in, in film and games in the last year that it's almost like I wish they dial it up to 10 here like they used to do. Um, I, I feel there was a period in the late 80s and 90s where in film there'd be like, my goodness, there's so much music here and it's so over the top. And I, and I loved it. Like, you know, to reference the E.T. flying theme moment, like it's literally all music and it's so in your face, but it's so brilliant because it's built up to that. It's all built up to that and it's okay. It's it's like the music is giving you permission to like release your emotion that has been building up for the entire movie. I watched Braveheart recently and I'm like, wow, if this film was being made now, half of these cues would never get approved because there's so much music and it is so over the top.
but it kind of harkens back to an era where films kind of did wear their heart on their sleeves a bit more. And I feel like that's what we're doing. We're doing that on Ori a little bit. And, and people have referenced it and called it out. And I'm like, great. I'm happy that you're calling it out because you know what? That That's just what we're doing. I mean, this is, a you know, we're not exactly shy that we're, you know, we're emu- trying to emulate Disney in a lot of ways with, with what we're doing and with our, with our visual storytelling. So it's like, yeah, actually, you know what? Let's go all out and let's do the big music cue here. And yeah, maybe it's a little bit over the top, <laughs> but but actually there aren't that many experiences which which are going all out. And especially on this game where I had the benefit of it's a sequel. So there's much greater resources. Mm. I was able to go to London, record at Air Studios, which is one of the best studios in the world, record with the Philharmonia Orchestra, who are one of the best orchestras in the world, record with an amazing choir. We didn't even have a real choir on the first game. So I'm like, okay, if I can't hit you over the head with these forces now, then I feel like I failed. So what is the point of being subtle? (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. I had, you know, all of the forces at my disposal this time and especially the choir. Oh my goodness. When when we have the choir by themselves and in the handful of cues where we just let them do their thing, it's just, it just brings you closer to the experience in a way that you just can't get with digital voices like when you have 20 real humans moving the air with their vocal cords it's just such a special sound I was just like, man, I almost wish we'd had the choir on the first game. I wish I'd had the foresight to, to even budget for it. But it would I can tell you now it would have been impossible because <laughs> choirs are expensive um, and they're difficult. They're a little bit harder to record as well. We, we got it on this game and I was like, wow, I, it, it, again, I, I talk about cheat codes again. It just feels like a cheat code because they, they're doing all the work and they're making me look really good. Yeah, well, at least I hope so. Um, again, <laughs> the, the players will tell me in two weeks. But when we unleash them, I'm like, wow, it, it just has that emotional, emotional kick. And I feel very fortunate to have worked on this game, which allows me to do that. I've got to do this twice um, because, you know, this is a sequel. Uh, I, I don't think there's a composer on the planet who wouldn't want to work on a game like this, especially with a game that has such minimal dialogue and allows you such freedom of expression with music. And and yes, it's OK to go balls to the wall with the music as long as you do it in the right spot. Um, so <laughs> the range I've been able to express and being be allowed to express uh, i feel like in games because of the scope of games that we have that are being made at the moment um it's just this like giant canvas that we get to play on and uh, yeah i just feel really lucky to be able to be working in it just to tie it off i, I think you you've been head down on this game for a while but I'm sure you're looking forward to kind of putting the soundtrack album there as a kind of a release of your own, as if you were a standalone composer or music artist and seeing, you know, the guys at MAGFest or the the community of cover artists embrace it because that is there now. That has actually developed since the last story as well. You know, games like um, Undertale, Celeste. Oh, I mean, there's an entire cover album of (laughs) Ori. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, there's some stuff which I couldn't, 
even have imagined like it, there's a saxophone cover of one of the tracks in the first time like saxophone i mean i i'm not a huge <laughs> fan of the saxophone but then i listen to it i'm like this actually works quartet cover and actually uh one of the orchestrators i hired on this project i hired him because of his string quartet arrangement which i found on youtube It's not David Peacock. It's it is David Peacock. It is David. Oh, I've interviewed him. Yeah, nice guy. Yeah, David's uh, one of the main orchestrators on Ori Two. He orchestrated about half the game, which is about you know hundred hundred minutes of orchestration. David was able to come to London for the December sessions. He he did an amazing job. I hired him originally because I liked his string quartet on um, on, on YouTube, and uh, and then you'll go from the string quartet to like hearing a rap an Ori rap. There's, I mean, there's a heavy metal cover, there's drum and bass covers. And I'm just like, I'm all for it. If people, if, you know, that's the, that's the cool thing about the cover community is like people are free to create what they want to create. It's very flattering when someone does that with your work. So we'll see what happens with the, with the second one. They have a 60 track album and 186 minutes of music to work with for, for covers. So yeah, but you just know there are hundreds of them that are just going to wait for it to drop. And then the second it goes, they're just like, right, which one am I going to do yep. first? And that's a, <laughs> it's such a wonderful thing about this this little niche, you know, this little bit of the industry. And, and just to tie it all the way back to one of the early points about composers being able to get out there ahead of games with a bit more cover and a bit more love in the world for game music and a bit less anger and divisiveness around that side of video games compared to various other aspects of the gaming industry and there's also this warm cushion of the game music community there as well to kind of absorb you as soon as you put out something new it's uh it's a it's a really nice time i think i think the game industry in general uh is moving towards a more positive and inclusive direction what i like to say about the game industry is that where it generally is at is it's the equivalent of like a precocious adolescent um like in terms of the game industry as a whole the precocious adolescent is capable of doing some absolutely awesome stuff but you know we're also still capable of doing some stupid stuff as well it's funny you mentioned we're in the golden age but i actually still think we're on the cusp like if you think it's good now i think like even in the next five to ten years it's going to be even greater than where we're at now and that uh, that is an incredibly exciting place to be as a composer and and there's just so many games being made and i i do like the move towards accessibility and crossplay that seems to be seems to be inevitable now like with, with all of the xbox titles that microsoft are publishing um they're, they're crossplay like you buy ori on xbox it's playable on pc on the on the windows store just the fact that we got ori on nintendo switch like that that is truly bizarre to me because i i just did not think that would ever be possible like a, a microsoft published and funded game from scratch is on nintendo switch we're in that age now and the positivity in the game music community is awesome but i feel like 
gradually and we've got a long way to go for sure but i feel like gradually it's going to bleed into the the general space as well especially as you know the world becomes more accustomed with uh, how can i put it internet etiquette uh, which is <laughs> has been a what has been a wild west for a long time but i think now that people are growing up with it and kind of you know know what's right and wrong we definitely got a long way to go but i do feel like we're making progress and that's that's also really nice to see um because i i do want to be part of a a, a positive industry and i feel like uh, we're, we're doing we're doing well with that me too me too hopefully i've i've led a good example and you and and many other the majority of re- responsible people and professionals and creators and fans um in actually not criticizing and shouting at people i was listening to the outer worlds soundtrack and i was like this track's amazing i'm just going to tell the composer on twitter and then he says yeah thanks man i'm like this is great to just be able to reach out to someone and say their work is great. I've definitely enjoyed Twitter as a platform because also it's helpful. Like you don't feel like you're shortchanging anyone when you just write a simple thank you. It's a very good platform for engaging quickly with people because, you know, people send you an email. It's like, if you start writing one email, you kind of have to feel like you have to respond to all of them. <laughs> but with Twitter, it, it, it's actually very easy to engage with fans and very fun. Actually, the best social media platform for me, and it's not even a social media platform, is Spotify. Uh, that's actually where I have the most followers. And I'm just like, you know what? If I keep putting music out there, then that's actually where I'll direct people. Thanks again to Gareth Coker for joining me to chat game music and share his insight. I hope you enjoyed the interview.